Okay, here's the thing. I don't know about you, but if I was, quote, at the end of my rope or having a bad day and fed up, unquote, I probably wouldn't be too selective about who I would express that frustration towards. And that's the thing that bothers me about Atlanta. It felt selective. It certainly didn't feel random. And it sure as hell felt worse than that. Hashtag stop Asian hate crimes. expressed in the following are those of its participants and do not necessarily reflect those of the producers and the Six Talk Podcast Network. Also, the following contains mature material and mild language, which may not be suitable for all audiences. Discretion is advised. Saturday night, March 27th, 2021. This is episode 38 of the Anime Roundtable Canada. Good evening once again, 10 minutes south of the Anime North compound in the west end of Toronto, Mike Nicholas at six points. James Austin, Kevin Ng, Mohamed Shamarki, and Jeff Gregg not at six points. A quick reminder that we encourage people to write in and give their two cents on the conversation. AnimeRoundtable at gmail.com is our email at Anime Roundtable. You can find us there on Twitter and Instagram. AnimeRoundtable.com for our show notes and past episodes. We're on Facebook. We're on Discord. And maybe, just maybe, a YouTube or a Twitch channel coming soon to a device near you. And we really hope you do give us a follow on Twitter and, and Instagram. Or Twitter or Instagram. Because you'll almost for sure get a personal thank you from us. Which means me okay I, I just realized we didn't do a covid update last episode and with the way the last couple weeks have gone we really don't want to let people know that the variants of concern are winning those those damn concerns here in ontario the number of daily cases have unfortunately shot up quite a bit. The blame is you on said variants of concern. And the government. And the warm weather. <laughs> you can blame a bunch of things. Just the bottom line is, over the last three days, cases have been over 2,000 daily. And I'd say we peaked at just un, at over 2,400, but I get the feeling that number is going up. 20, we were Ontario was over 2,400 today, more specifically 2,453. But by the time you guys listen to this episode, we'll be at at least 3,000. Yeah. I say four. All right. I'll see I, you I see your four and I raise you five. How about that? Let's Can go. Can we talk about this more in trying to get shots in arms, maybe? Yeah. Well... The thing is, and just just to add to the just to finish up on those numbers, sixteen more deaths recorded. I think that's the first time. See, I'm trying to remember the last uh, 
the last time uh, we had a double digit number of deaths to be announced because uh, I don't think that we, we were over 10 yesterday, but unfortunately. So, and ICU capacity apparently is getting a little bit more squeezed as well. If you're to listen to um, doctors they've been interviewing in the last 24 to 48 hours, although there are enough of enough people out there who says, what the hell do doctors know? So on that note also, yeah, there's also the vaccination programs are continuing. Canada, for its part, has had some issues, but uh, we're trudging along, I guess. I don't know what else to say to add to that. Wow. There's many things to think about in our programs of how things were done. That's right. for sure. Well, yeah, of course. Hindsight is twenty twenty. Well, there's still things we could think about. Like, mm -hmm. We look about how they spread out the vaccine across the country, and they should have went with more triaged approach, trying to hit those hard-headed areas, but they've kind of went for the general yeah, approach yeah, where that's... everyone got the same amount, which doesn't exactly help and helps those higher risk areas. Still sure. That's right. The green, the uh, green areas in Ontario, the ones that are, that don't have any numbers to tell us about probably the, the most open out of all of them. They yeah. Get the, they get the same number of vaccines as say Toronto. So I, I wish it was the, the case that it, you know, it was an even amount, but there are like some of the hardest hit areas um, where a lot of vulnerable people, there are no like, uh, clinics that are running out of pharmacies in those areas, but some, you know, relatively affluent areas uh, where there's relatively low caseloads have like three uh, for the same amount of uh, space and people. It's it's ridiculous. I it's, heard Northern Etobicoke was, was the exact uh, case of this being a problem. Yeah, but mm. it's, it's Etobicoke and Scarborough where like, you know, the richer parts of Scarborough, like again, like the beach um, have like loads or well, relatively loads of uh, clinics, uh, but you know, places, uh, North Scarborough, relatively few to zero. Hmm. Bye. Yeah. Well, and then the thing is we do, when people do get the shots, uh, we've heard stories example on the go train example that they think they don't have to wear their mask and you're like, <laughs> well, no, we're not out of the woods yet. And there is yeah. the other problem of we've heard different science and stuff like that, that they, you know how they said 30 days later, you should get your second shot if you're getting one of those vaccines. Some of them are delaying that uh, appointment for later, which is odd because what happens, like you want to get those antibodies, then get it so that the shot's effective the second time. You know what I mean? It's four months now. It's four which months. Is, which is which ridiculous. Is kind of, That's too long. Way too long. Wow. Well, really? Yeah. yeah. People are I mean, getting their does the, like as I said, this is one of those I'm no doctor lines. How like does spreading out? Well, my mom was an ICU much... nurse, and she's and we've been talking about this, and I can tell you a lot of these are concerned. She's just shaking her head. It's like, what's going on here, guys? Okay. This isn't. This is a health issue. This isn't a. We're going to win back votes, or we're going to do whatever. We got to actually deal with this in reality and deal with this as medical professionals. And I'm sure there are many people telling those same things, right? To yeah. politicians and whoever, but for whatever reason, they're not winning the battle, right? Mm -hmm. Your mother's been vaccinated? No, she hasn't. They're okay. just uh, 70. So they're hoping that maybe Peel will start allowing them to call in, just like I've heard okay. in Toronto or no. My, well, my mother 
got vaccinated last week and she's she's in the same cohort i think as yours but i think your mom mom sounds like uh, she should have been by now as well well my mom and dad just turned 70 so okay. they were my, my, looking my at it my parents are a few are, are are a little older than that and by the way happy birthday pop uh, today's his birthday but they were talking about that too mike it's like obviously they started with older canadians and stuff like that and now the other problem they're having is they have all these open um appointments they've talked about so it's the issue of trying to find these people because some of them are in nursing homes some of them are in old age homes some of them are in their own homes and trying to get an old person out of their home sometimes and into these type of clinics or stuff like that can be problematic. It might've been good in some cases, they have given it to family doctors and that would be a good thing to do for those older Canadians and stuff like that, as we've seen in the past. Yeah. How much vaccine hesitancy would you say there is then from your guess? I see. That's the thing too. Yeah. We've been hearing things about uh, certain things about clotting and other things. And so it can be a concern with certain people and stuff like that, because I know my mom, for example, that's a big concern that could kill her if she has clotting and stuff like that. So for some of those people, there is, I forget which shot it is, but one of them, they are going to avoid and stuff like that. If there's a, oh, the, that's the AstraZeneca. And, and that's the one, yeah. that's the one that's been talked about over the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And well, the AstraZeneca one is the one you've been seeing in the pharmacies because that doesn't need as cold a storage temperature as the other ones that have been approved in this country. Moderna and oof. Pfizer. Pfizer, thank you. But as and they for- say, some of us are doing like, and it isn't like, yeah, you'll do your research on some of these shots. But nope. for that one, we want to be sure and stuff like that, because as my mom said, there are some things that if they interact the wrong way, right, it could be detrimental to your health and mean death in some cases. Yeah. So the, the, If it's worth something, when my mother got her, her shot a week or so ago, she told me it was the Pfizer. And my father was able to sign up for one as well that'll happen in the coming week and it'll be at the same place my mother got her shot my mom my mom for reference is a medical lab worker as well so i think the combination of both her her occupation and the fact she is a bit older she's um she's among the uh, older um older employees at her at her lab she was able to get the shot when she did and as I said, my father will uh, see that in, within the coming week. And I, I, I guess it, I guess if you want to, and this is not the right word to use, dodge the AstraZeneca one. That's and that's not a good word, really. No, no. no because um, there's that line: the best vaccine is the first one you're offered. Exactly. But. If I'm to make a guess, the mass clint vaccination clinics have the structure to have that deeper cold storage that would safely store things like like the Pfizer and the Moderna. I mean, personally, if I had to choose, I'd go with that J and J shot, one one and done, one and done. You know, but that's just you know if I had a choice. But I don't know. I'm just I'm I'm hearing about the the states and their rollout and. It, like every day they're lowering their ages. I mean, 
right now you can if you're 18 and above you can get a shot in minnesota it's it's ridiculous like it's yeah and here we are where's our where's our vaccine man the cohort will be done in summer right (laughs) we'll be yeah well sure Uh, well you know who's winning the race right remember summer ends like what september 22nd or something so yeah that's what i'm figuring is more for our first (laughs) shot and stuff like that but unfortunately we don't have any capacity so we have to rely on other countries and stuff like that and Unfortunately, uh, we're stuck in a tough spot. That's for sure. Right, right. Because no... we're getting the supply now, but will we continue to get it? Like they can say, oh, we're going to get all these people vaccinated and stuff like that. But until the proof happens, right? We'll see how it well, goes. That's, that's, the, that's what's been hanging over the country in, in the last week. And hopefully there won't be any uh, effects on most people, but people want to make sure what they're taking is safe. And that is... Uh, okay to think about but i think for all of us with no men, um health issues and stuff like that we'll take whatever is given to us first mm-hmm. well here's the and i guess just to pivot start to pivot a little bit more and start to come a little bit more local the other part of the news this week for here in ontario or more specifically the gta personal services such as haircuts and some gyms That was more in the news this week because even as some restrictions have lifted a little bit, those businesses have been forced to remain closed, but there's something coming for them, I suppose. Gyms will be allowed to do outdoor classes in the coming week, and if you need a haircut or need to get your nails done, yeah, uh, hold out till April twelfth, and you'll probably be able April to. April sixteenth, but I could. I thought the name. I thought the number was April twelfth, but anyway. Actually, you're right. It was twelfth. It's a Monday. Yeah, so and that makes sense. But by appointment only, right? By appointment so that, only. That will be a race, I'm sure, for some people. Either that, or do what a lot of people have been doing: jumping regions. Uh, but it also confirms one other thing. If we're ever going to do a video, it's going to be after April 12th because I badly need a haircut. <laughs> or, or, and uh, who knows? You don't want to join me, Mike, and grow out the beard? Well, it looks better on you than it would me. <laughs> I'm pretty sure of that. But on the topic of jumping regions, thanks for this link to the Cineplex uh, page, James. So. So which region are we going to? Alberta, <laughs> Saskatchewan? Are we going to Atlantic uh, Canada's playground? Can we? Can, All right, can we, road trip. Can we give the context first? I heard that anime is played in theaters, correct, Mike? Yeah. Well, when, when was the announcement made that at least the Demon Slayer movie was going to come into finally come to theaters? Or was it the week before? It was a few weeks ago, like I think it was early March, right? And they said it was going to come to uh, Canada as well. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, the thing was now on Cineplex's uh, website, this week uh, we had the Demon Slayer movie for the dub and the sub added, and that's going to start from April 23rd. And the tickets will go on sale this Tuesday, March 30th. And then the other movie uh, that was announced by this month by Funimation, Violet Evergarden, is going to be starting on Good Friday, April 2nd, and its tickets will go on sale March 30th on the Tuesday. But we'll see uh, what happens on that day because we don't have theaters yet. So it'll be interesting to see which theaters show up. Yeah, this will be... 
<laughs> I'm I'm kind of shaking my head when I see this because we don't know the regions yet. So as I said, there's a there's a real possibility of region jumping. Remember all those jokes we made for like the Fate Stay movie late last year? Yep. Late in 2020. I, I'm willing to come from Montreal all the way to Peterborough or so, and stuff like that. Because <laughs> we are talking and we are talking about the highest grossing film in Japanese theater history. I can see a lot of people wanting to see Violet Evergarden because Kyoto Animation mm-hmm. it was definitely their baby and to support uh, them through their trying times, remember, just trying to get animation on the screen and stuff like that. And then, of course, as you said, Demon Slayer, the big boy, the highest grossing animation this year. Mm-hmm. Which, and as I said, we're going to talk about that a little bit more later on, almost certainly. But the whole thing is, what? How would it benefit by it, it, its great story, or just being the, in the right place and right time at this point in history? Save that thought for later, though. Uh, that said, well, we've I've constantly made the joke with you guys about you guys and your region jumping or going to theaters over the last year. And I admit a degree of temptation now about about seeing the Demon Slayer movie because I did finish the anime uh, uh, last week. Kevin and Mo watched it with me. We we watch partied it on uh, what what's the name of that service again? To which is basically they are the ones that decide they since rabbit died they're like okay we're gonna be the next rabbit but it'll be interesting to see if they find the funding because the reason rabbit died is they couldn't get the venture capital Mm -hmm. and that was one we used but i know you guys said you didn't do um a voice component because what we did on our discord is we would talk to each other through discord voice and then we would use the other functions like you have that text chat in there. And then basically it's just a share screen, right? Share browser that we can all go and then uh, watch whatever through that and yeah. even share no. the remote. Like we've we've done these things already and trying to share my screen is kind of tough than those apps for some strange reason. Everything's muted. Can't get any sound of it if I put a share, share a browser. But Tuturu, is that how we pronounce it? That was that actually worked out very well. So we stuck with everything through that, and that was similar to what Rabbit was, and it was a lot. It's a lot simpler than uh, what Discord did with their video. I think there's still work in progress, but theirs is a different way going about it, of course. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm finished uh, Demon Slayer, and I can see a lot of the popularity of it. It. Okay, let's. I guess uh, we can uh, uh, bring this up just b- briefly. There was remember the chat we had with Matt Alt Games back in December, and Demon Slayer sort of came up in the conversation in the context of yokai. Correct. I haven't really done any reading about about yokai itself. It's a like how recent a phenomenon is it? How recent a thing is it in terms of being known to the Western Western English speaking world? 
the console. It's definitely been a long time that we've known about. You look at Yokai Watch and stuff like that. I talked about the recent manga I read, The Girl Without Face, which involves Yokai. So it's mm-hmm. definitely been there. And it's always been there for the since people have been watching anime and stuff like that, even if they didn't know it as Yokai. Yeah, that's, that's, like that's, that. As they dug deeper, it's like, oh, this is Yokai. It's like it's the same thing of the Japanese see something in every object, in every presence. You know what I mean? It's similar well, to that. Something having a soul. Yeah. It's yeah, and, and that's another theme. The whole we knew of these things without actually knowing the terms. We just knew of the concepts. I think most um uh i guess for especially for canadian audiences um and i guess american too uh inuyasha you know frame them as demon right so like mm-hmm. that was the mm-hmm. the dub choice um even though some people would um say that yokai would have been a, a more accurate term uh for that series and it's a term that you can't perfectly map into english as a uh, matt alt would have said so i start to i can okay I, because I look back on it, and remember, he used the line, he attributed a lot of the success to the whole, to to yokai. To some degree, it's just, I guess I just found the the, the stories engaging and some of the themes a lot, uh, some of the other themes more engaging. The whole, you know, um, perseverance and standing up for your family type, type themes. Those resonated with me. Of course, the per, uh, the um, personality of its main character. Sometimes cheesy, but a likable character. I mean, I, yeah, I, I can see it. I'm, I've become a bit of a fan, and I certainly really enjoyed watching watching Demon Slayer. But it, it, but now that uh, now that the whole yokai line has been brought in, there's some a little bit more curiosity to know. What went? What what parts of it kind of got went over my head? What parts of it did I? What parts of the concepts did I miss? Or did I miss anything? It's just maybe there's a certain awareness that I that I have to I want to develop here now. When I after watching watching the Demon Slayer anime, so that's a, that's a, that's just me. Maybe I'll, and yes, I'll probably put in an order for the um, for the manga box when that comes out. When it goes we'll on sale too, of course. Yeah, we'll look at the deals later. <laughs> but that's okay. That's a thought on Demon Slayer, and as I said, we'll. Um, I guess we'll talk about that a little bit more. Thanks for helping me finish it, Mike. Thanks for oh, helping yeah, me right. finish Demon Slayer. That's the reason. That's the reason why uh, Kevin and Mo hung out with me digitally to watch so you actually Kevin hadn't watched the watched... last four episodes oh so you knew kevin hadn't watched the last four and that's why he... you got him to join you oh, okay I, I let him know at some point because he got to i think episode 18 or 19 and then i asked hey would you like to uh would you be willing for us to watch it together and mike obliged yeah the and thing I was it and here's part of the story because there was this one night on not this past Tuesday, but the Tuesday before one day I was just kept watching an episode and watching an episode just one evening. And before I knew it, I had watched 10 episodes without realizing I was watching 10 episodes. That's when you know you like a show. That's yep. That's when yeah. You know, and yeah. it's because it's you will just, make the time for it. 
Yeah, and, and I forced myself to make the time for it. I forgot what else was on at the... Uh, I think I was just watching another uh, Pro-Line ticket lose at the same time, but... <laughs> And I and by the way, I bought a Proline ticket. Just a quick aside, I bought a Proline ticket to put a small bet on the uh, World Cup qualifying today, the the afternoon slate, and all three of them fucked up. Who would have thought that um, Ireland would lose? Well, never mind that. But uh, but or I, Croatia I think, would lose but, as well. I well, think. Croatia lost their first game, but they won earlier. And then Port, well, who would have thought Portugal would have tied? And what's the other score I lost on? Ah, never mind. Is it time for football uh, hooliganism? No, no, no. Well, that's another story altogether. But we'll save that for off the air. But where was I? Yeah, you just kept going, 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 and I think that was the first real binge watch I've ever had of anything. Like, or at least anything close in years, right? I think I, I think I went through like a dozen episodes of Ranma back in the day too. So th- it was that type of it was that type of watch for me um, when I got through a, the bulk of it. And it's it, it it's it kind of plods a little bit because my understanding is the the for, the first season because there's going to be a second season. The first season just gets through roughly seven volumes and a couple of really just a few just four major storylines right the final selection and then the forest and the recovery and the four and everything i want those 10 episodes covered the me the first meeting of uh with zenitsu and the and the mansion and then the bulk of the forest and in some ways it plods kind of slowly but it's so engaging. I found it so so engaging to watch, even though even though the action kind of plotted rather slow. But yeah, I can see it. I can see the popularity. But was it worth the follow-up movie being the biggest of all time in Japan? As I said, we'll talk about that a bit later. Okay. So let's revisit a story we've talked about on and off. And it's Sony. Or more specifically, the proposed acquisition of Crunchyroll into the Sony fold. And seemingly it's hit a snag. According to the website theinformation.com, the U.S. Justice Department is going to do an antitrust review of the proposed acquisition. Well, it's doing an extension. It's extending its review that it's already doing. That's what they're doing. Yeah, and that that but that's an interesting sign. Review uh, the according to the reports, they're reviewing the deal to see if it would give Japanese animation studios fewer options to distribute shows in the U.S. And that this could take a little. This could this will delay the deal. Yeah, they said by several months, and depending on how that goes, right, it could potentially kill it, depending if time is money, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So this is an interesting development. We we were all, like, we talked at length about this when it was first announced. We talked about it ad nauseum at various points in the last six months, I'd I'd say. 
I know we brought it up uh, briefly, I think towards the end of summer or early fall. And then when the deal happened just before the was announced just before the new year or in December, I think it was, we talked about it ad nauseum. Like Sony's uh, Sony's uh, always a fascinating company to talk about in these contexts. But did anyone seriously think that like as much as we uh, many of us did not like the deal did we seriously think that the justice department would do an extended antitrust investigation i did not expect it they might I think have it depends though because right we've had a change of administration stuff like that so i think some of that comes into play too of course no absolutely i mean I, this is going to be one of those litmus litmus test for the biden administration right i mean well, they're taking a look at a few other deals i think as well and stuff like that but some of the ones that were there before unfortunately went through like i know microsoft's acquisition of zenimax which had bethesda and all those other studios went through and they announced that and they said hey the deal is done okay and maybe this is an apples and oranges comparison the whole bethesda microsoft thing and this what could have been the snag then what what like What's it depends? What type that of monopoly one was started earlier, didn't it? So I think some of it's just timing and stuff like that. And then the other thing we had talked about it before, some of the things in the article about them arguing, like the company Sony and them are arguing the Justice Department not to consider anime a distinct market from the broader range of adult uh, animation. They're, and also talking about Netflix and about uh, Amazon and all that other stuff, but. It's interesting that they're taking a look at it from that angle because usually they look at it from a more broader scope in my mind. That's why I figured it was just going to be rubber stamps. So it's interesting to see them take a little more look, even at something more niche. I know it's definitely gained popularity. We've seen the money pouring in, but it's still to a greater degree niche compared to, say, Netflix, Disney Plus, and so on and so forth, and Hulu. Yeah, that's one one aspect. Uh, the one that grabs me is sticking up for foreign studios, like because uh, because a lot of these reports kind of bring up the whole idea that it's they're seeing if it would limit the options for studios to, you know, promote, uh, you know, market their works because it would be seemingly could just funnel into one major thing. I guess the question is, how serious are they about that, right? You can say it, but we'll see what happens when a decision is made, right? How seriously they thought on that angle too, right? But it is something nice that that is true. It's, yeah. It, I and think they truly believe in the free market, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I have trouble thinking of it as a real mistest for the Biden administration, just for reference, Mo. And that's not, like, it, it's interesting. But I think, I, I just know they have, bigger issues to deal with at the at the moment but you know the, the, like i mean i haven't looked at this as fresh as maybe i should and remember it's like they talk about previous administration too uh mike because remember at&t and uh time warner when they were merging and the trump administration went after and that was a two-year fight and that was big dollars going back and forth so this isn't as big, so I'm not sure it's going to be the same thing, but we'll see what happens, whether 
they decide to let go or as they say they decide to sue to say that they this deal should not happen and stuff like that and they've talked about taking extended probes at other things they were talking about salesforce's plan to acquire slack and stuff like that so definitely on the tech side i think they're going to be looking at things with them more uh, closely well i'm just more confused as to what like who's Who's this benefiting in the U.S. to try and stop such a deal? Because all the reports always talk about defending Japanese studios. That's the impression I get. But usually something like this would be, I would have, I would have thought would have been launched in relation to, well, we have to defend uh, an American entity of some sort. Or is it the fact that because we're talking about an American, an American entity being bought? Because Crunchyroll is Crunchyroll is is an American entity. Is that what we're is that part is that what it is? As they say, your guess is as good as ours, right? It's like. Who knows? Maybe they're just dotting the I's and uh, crossing their T's, as they say. But yeah, so that's what has me a little, a little bit confused about this. And from the outset, many of us, like we said, the, the anime world isn't a huge world, especially when you look in comparison to other foreign, popular culture type things. I mean. Bollywood is, I'm pretty sure, much bigger. Pretty sure a lot of other, other for other um, foreign entertainment, foreign entertainment forms would be way popular than anime. Asian movie, just uh, even within even within Asian entertainment, I would think I I would have think anime hasn't gotten to that level. Or maybe that's what it is because it it, it, it it's growing enough. But I'm sure some of the arguments, too, we've talked about Netflix and we've talked about Amazon, but especially as we've talked about Netflix, they've definitely been bullish on the live action Japanese properties and the uh, Japanese anime side and stuff like that and funding them and to compete with the big boys. As we say, this merger uh, does make sense and stuff like that. And we've seen from season to season, all the shows, there might be a few trickling to Sentai in that, but for the most part, it's ping-ponging between Crunchyroll and Funimation. Like I saw for the spring season, Crunchyroll got more of the series than uh, Funimation did. But the other thing I noticed too, funny enough, was uh, Megalobox, the second season, it didn't actually, isn't going to be streaming on uh, Crunchyroll and it doesn't look like Viz got the license. It looks like really? it was Funimation because Funimation is doing the streaming for it. So that'll be an interesting one because... Viz dubbed that at Bang Zoom and they released it. And it looks like Viz has just given up the ghost on the anime side again because it feels like some years they're interested and it looks like they're more interested in manga again. And maybe that's part of the, like, things like that that's catching uh, the attention of the Justice Department. I mean, I'll, I'll, let me double back for a couple seconds here and just acknowledge Anime, manga, it may not be big, but it's certainly ripe for growth. 
right now in terms of uh, in terms of options, in terms of entertainment options. It's a it's a growth industry, I think is a popular phrase. Agree or disagree? Yeah, I think so. So and we talked about streaming too, right? How that's where all the eyeballs are and stuff like that. It isn't about physical media or watching on the TV. It's about streaming it from your computer or whatever screen you have and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So it's maybe some of them realizing this is where people are going and stuff like that. So we need to take a closer look maybe at these streaming services. or right. uh, where... Once again, com- coming back down to my thought on it's a growth. It's a growth industry. It's a growth segment within streaming now, right? Mm-hmm. So I guess that's where that's the impetus for what's going on, but still has me boggled as to this wouldn't be ha- would wouldn't be happening unless it's of like real concern to American entities. So it still confuses me just a little bit, and this comes back down to you know my own simple mind, I suppose. But I don't know. You guys have any other thoughts? Like, just randomly on all of this, do you guys have other thoughts? I honestly didn't okay. think they'd pursue it. Like this came. To, sorry, uh, this came as a surprise, really, because I always just had this notion that oh, it's an anime company, it's an anime acquisition. Like, who cares about that in the grand scheme of things? So, like, it's just my general mindset because I feel like there would be more important monopolies they would chase after when it comes to these things. But you know what? I don't mind because, as we all like to stress, monopolies are never good. Jeff? I know it would have uh, stoked the fire of the fandom wars uh, into the far into the future, but I kind of like the simplicity of a few years ago where it was like Crunchyroll saying, you know what, we're going to take care of most of the subs and uh, Funimation over there is going to take care of most of the dubs and we're going to be separate <laughs> but friends. That That seemed like, again, I don't, you know, the it could have ignited the sub versus dub wars into a horrible skirmish that would have lasted decades but at least it was kind of simple there was an element of you know we're friends we understand that we're going to compete for certain licenses but uh you know this is what most of our fans you know respectively seem to be into so we might as well just lean into that and that seemed kind of organic and and nice and if Verve was in Canada, that probably would have led me to to pick up a subscription to that. But uh, then they they stopped that, and now we're here. Yeah, the the they, the partnership ended, but now resources are being brought back together. Uh, whether somebody, whether individual employees on both sides like it or not, that's seemingly what could happen. <laughs> you know what I was thinking about too is. The other thing they look at is dollars and cents because this is the $1.2 billion. So that's kind of like you're playing in the big leagues. This isn't like the hundreds of millions that Sony paid for Funimation. So you can tell that the market capital and everything is just growing at such a ridiculous rate. And that's not proposed money. That's real money on the table. So some of that probably plays a factor too. So we go all woot. So the it caught the attention of the Justice Department. 
because that because kind of it went all it's like okay if they're valuing this sector at that amount of money and we take a look at that sector so it's kind of probably they're taking a look at that sector now that this has caught their attention so they want an extra look dollar dollar bill y'all right i mean because of the amount of money involved in all of this that's probably what uh, grabs their attention well part i mean okay Okay. Fa As I said, still a fascinating story after, you know, well, when did we last talk about it? Three months, almost three months ago now, right? When the deal was signed. Well, I think the, still the end goal is that the deal goes through in the end, because if they let the Microsoft Bethesda thing go through, they let, and even though it was previous administration, AT&T Time Warner, given everything on this one it'll probably happen it's just going to be a longer process yeah i I'd, I'd, I'd be i tend to and agree whether sony and time warner are willing to go along for the ride as they say because yeah, things I... can still fall apart right if it takes too long mm -hmm. i mean I, i'm i'm of the agreement because when yeah just because of the sheer amount like it's it's not chump change i get it the it, it's not chump change the uh, the billion 1.2 bill but it isn't like we're we're talk uh, in comparison to other thing other versions of that other versions of this not to say there have been but other acquisitions and mergers that we've heard about this is still small it's a we get it with in terms of anime but it's small yeah, we get anime is still a growth industry, but it, in the grand scheme, it's well. There's a there there's a reason why um, things have kind of consolidated the way they have. I guess we could always joke that there's still probably more opportunities for them there than in uh, Canada's telecom industry. I don't know if we want to go there. <laughs> Let's not. <laughs> that's another and uh, if you kept up with the canadian news you'll know where that reference just came in so this is a story as i said we'll just continue to keep up with because well in any event uh, even if we're not trying to keep up someone will let us know anyway but as i said we'll we'll probably hear about this when the investigation is over and the deal closes that's my guess and hey, prove me wrong. All right, let's take the break. When we come back, the Japan America Society of Dallas and Fort Worth, we mentioned their online event that would have happened. Well, we mentioned it last episode, and that was going to happen the day after St. Patrick's Day on March 18th. It came and went. The YouTube video is up. We watched it. Or at least uh, three of us did. And we'll uh, fill in the other two on the whole details and talk at length about that when we get back. It's the Anime Roundtable on the Six Talk Podcast Network. Hey folks, my name is Brett and I'm one of the hosts of Skeleton House, an audio-only Let's Play podcast where my two friends, Jess... What is happening? Oh my god! And Steve... Even he looks spooked. Play through video games, and I edit them, add context, and act as your eyeballs. Also, we have a cat. 
Come check us out at skeletonhouse.budsprout.com or look up Skeleton House on your favorite podcast app or your least favorite podcast app. I'm not here to tell you how to live your life. And the podcast now continues. Nicholas Austin, Ing, Shamarki, Greg, around the virtual table with you. In front of a virtual audience, thanks for listening, and online via the Six Talk Podcast Network. Official podcast, Anime North. Just turned on the lights again. Earth Hour is over. Earth Hour was going on while we were starting to tape this. Went from 8.30 to 9.30 p.m. It is well after 9.30 now. We're not going to give the actual time as we're taping this, are we? Well, it depends because I think they said Earth Hour. It was based 8.30 to 9.30 on your local time and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. let's just say we had bad local timing. <laughs> well, yeah, that too. Well, there's a lot of things that are bad timing here. Okay. So we mentioned we'd be talking about this a couple weeks ago or just before the break, but we mentioned it a couple weeks ago, last episode. The Japan America Society of Dallas Fort Worth, always good for material whenever they do an online event. I think uh, one of the first events we saw there was late last year. I think uh, Matt Alt and Hiroko Yoda appeared in one of their online events. Correct. Well, I forgot what was the exact theme. I'd have to like look it up again. I, although I know uh, for some strange reason, um, Hiroko Yoda did a whole lecture on the term kawaii in five minutes or less. And I think it had to do that with the kawaii and pop culture in general and stuff like that. Yeah. And they definitely gave a very good uh, explanation. I think they also talked about yokai there as well. Mm-hmm. Well, yokai. Yeah, it's a thing these days. Okay, but... March 18th, the Japan America Society at Dallas-Fort Worth, they put up a, did a really interesting panel discussion about Japanese pop culture's response to COVID-19. That was the exact title they used. In it, Roland Keltz, Seo Nakajima, Aki Nakanishi, and Bill Sutsi, which I may have pronounced wrong, so I apologize to Mr. Sutsi, said it again did a a little discussion on said topic and all of it was really fascinating. If you give yourself the chance, we will put the link up to the YouTube replay of the panel and do yourself a favor. Give yourself about the hour, 20 minutes it is to hear them out. Cause I think it's a, I personally thought it was a fascinating little discussion. Although And this is probably the easy way to start that discussion, at least the way we'll look at it. The impetus of the talk centers on this theme to me. And you thought the pandemic of the last year was isolating. Try being Japan between the 1630s and 1850s. That's sort of the the initial takeaway I get from watching the presentation because the isolationist period 
the two centuries uh, plus centuries of isolation that was forced on the country, self-imposed, kind of forced some interesting things for Japan. It made Japan, in the words of Nakanishi, both curious of the outside world and uniquely creative in their own ways to entertain and express themselves. And then once they were open, how that then went to the broader world and stuff like that. And I think it was the interesting thought of we're in this lockdown and stuff like that. And then with the technological tools we have now, how that spreads and changes the things that come out of that isolation and stuff like that. Because we saw Yukioe and stuff like that in other art forms go to... Um, western places they talked about the austrian uh, world's fair and stuff like that and some of it was just stuff you would see in uh, normal everyday life in japan some of this stuff and then it turned into high art or high um fashion or something to that effect or even the gardens and stuff like that where remember in japan the gardens were not for the general commoners exactly but then it became when it went to the west more for people to stroll around leisurely and stuff like that and take in this calmness. Like there's a weird opposite effects. Yes, you talk for a couple seconds about how everyday pop pop items for its time, like ukiyo-e, became high class as it became more popular overseas. And then ironically, the Japanese gardens, Zen gardens, kind of ended up going the other way around from high class domestically to public spaces outside of Japan. There's a certain there's a certain paradox or irony in all of that. But as I said, the, the whole that's it's an interesting line. I mean, the whole impetus just is an interesting starting point. Yeah, we're isolated, but like there's a degree of isolation now, but there's a degree of connectivity and that wasn't there when when the two centuries happened there in Japan in the 1600s. And we have to remember too, though, it's like they definitely were quite isolated, but it wasn't complete, complete, because as we remember, there was one open port and they could only stay there for the foreign merchants. And usually it was with the Portuguese and the Dutch that were allowed in that one port. And it was a very limited exchange and stuff like that. I mean, there's a lot to cover in in the what the three uh, in what uh, Nakanishi, Nakajima, and Celts all said. And there, then they all have they all take different angles. I think there's a. I think Nakanishi kind of uh, harped on the theme of uh, recip- um, reciprocal essence of cultural evolution. That's, I remember writing that down. I took notes. Just for reference, it felt like a felt like a university student, and I think which, meant, which meant I was failing. <laughs> Sorry, Jake. I was thinking as well for Nakanishi that he was talking about traditional arts evolving with the times and stuff like that, and he said he could talk on many things, but the interesting ones that caught my attention was kabuki and stuff like that, where there weren't really many things being streamed online and stuff like that. But then because of that, people in their 40s that were the younger part of the kabuki crowd that were doing kabuki and some of them from long lineages 
were starting to bring some of this stuff online and more people were able to see it and experience in a way they hadn't before and gain new fans and stuff like that. And uh, Amazon got involved, he was saying, and they were going to do something uh, with Kabuki and with what they had done maybe online. I forget what program they were going to call it, but it was going to involve uh, some Kabuki shows. Well, yeah, I think think admittedly we might be getting too far ahead of ourselves because that's (laughs) sort of how Japan is sort of adapting right now. Not really, you know, like, I, and like, the uh, other thing was the... because when each of these guys, when, when each of them spoke, they set up their own contexts to the mm-hmm. situation, right? And I think this is more that, like, when we talk about what Kabuki is doing now, that sounds more of a you know a reaction to the present situation. And even Sumo, I think he said the same thing. Where they were, they were trying to find out who is our core audience, who isn't the people that aren't the people just bringing people like, because we need something for us to do on our business meeting or something like that, or to go out and drink or what, who between the hardcore and the fair weather fans. And one of them was like, remember he showed on his screen, the phone app at the Sumo uh, association and the different things. And you could trade virtual cards and all that, but only some of them you could get by, you had to actually go to the Sumo matches and stuff like that. And they said at the moment, I think they're at 50% capacity is allowed in the sumo match. Yeah, but to help, I, said, I guess, which is an interesting. Said, yeah, it's an interesting point. But I, as I said, that's more at the, that, that came, those two points came up more at the end. So as I said, we kind of got ahead of ourselves on that. Although, although uh, I want to come back to the sumo point a bit later on, because there's something, like, it kind of pairs in. Okay, into because else. it's more on the non-anime stuff and stuff like that and more of the general pop culture and stuff. That's mm-hmm. why I thought I'd bring them in. Okay. Uh, well, it, it's fair. Although, um, you know, with uh, with with uh, NFT things like um, NBA Top Shot, the last little while, and non fungible tokens, I think that's the term that's been using. I it would be interest. I would have found it interesting to see what would happen if Sumo kind of tried to go that route. But then, then we're talking about pulling it into a into cultures that sometimes. Maybe Japan itself would be would be would loathe to be pulled into because of the because in some ways like that this is part of the one of the more bottom line statements from the, from it. Japan like Japan has a bit of a reputation of being pulled into into present time in some ways, kicking and screaming in terms of. In terms of in terms of the way it thinks, right? depends on the industry too and stuff like that. Oh yeah, yeah, just to jump ahead of us, just a bit talking about the animation industry. We were talking about how they were doing well and stuff like that, and they were talking about that at the end. They said, "Well, some of that helped from Re Eleven, unfortunately, where they did have issues. So they had already had some of those bumps along the way to prepare for something." like this and then they had many freelancers so that was another factor that helped them for doing virtual work and stuff like that and being able to do things where they're not all in the same room and then it was different moving parts as we've talked before had to function differently like for example voice acting and stuff like that because usually they were always in the same room before yeah as i said there's a there's a once again there's that paradox i mentioned right yeah okay let's uh let's uh, go back for a couple seconds here in some ways, doing anime, uh, anime productions, and I guess to a degree, manga productions, 
you know, it, it doesn't as much like you could pivot away from in-person, in-person interaction. Like uh, the pivot could be a little bit, e- is a little easier. And like you, like you just brought up, uh, James, you know, there was that, there was a lull in the industry after the Great East Japan earthquake 10 years ago. So, you know, you, you they, the, that lull, you know, was the industry trying to, trying to uh, just figure itself out after what happened. And then there and then was a we spike. saw and then, the then, then takeoff as point. we saw from one of those charts from Infle- Rolling Kelts. Oh, and- yeah, I think the word was inflection point. That's a common, which is a common phrase I'm hearing these days and when it comes to stocks. So and then uh, Mr. Kelts had a few other things, as you said, where he was talking about um, the VTubers and we had talked much about that and stuff like that and how some of that is... Uh, creating communities and bringing people together in different ways since mm-hmm. there isn't any in person a lot of in-person events and stuff like that yeah so as i said it's just it just adapted because it's already had its disaster i mean okay let's uh, uh just an analogy and people may agree or disagree with me on this one and it's sort of covid related too how bad has uh has has covid hit in africa because I've read report, I've read like some articles that suggest, in some ways, because of the pl- of the various plagues that they've dealt with over the last decade or so, their man the management may not have be- may not be nearly as bad there as it has been in other parts of the world. And I, I and I, I and I, maybe that's in a bit of an extreme case, but I, I try and kind of juxtapose it to. What's happened in Japan? They've had their disaster in 311. They've and they and through the through the last decade, they've learned to be nimble, so to speak, and pivot. So when this happened, when the pandemic happened, they basically said, "Hold my sake." Or, but basically, they knew what the well, how to handle this. I think that there's there's a lot about Japan that made them, uh, you know, kind of very well suited to be able to uh, ride this wave. Um, you know, if you look at sort of their history of being um, adaptable and tenacious, like even though they're, you know, slow to adopt um, change, even if the change has to happen rapidly, uh you know, they they have a lot of, I guess, defenses. Um, it's a culture that wears masks all the time when you have a common cold. So telling everyone, hey, everyone has or maybe has a common cold, you just don't know it. So please wear masks. And everyone's like, okay, sure. Um, you know, to the point where, you know, you had the Super Nintendo Land opening and all the dancers are out there wearing the masks. And it's it's kind of just normal. Like they they so, you know, readily adapted and, you know, made it just part of their life like it was nothing uh, compared to, you know, the U.S. when (laughs) people are screaming and tearing down walls because they have to wear a mask inside Walmart for three minutes. Um, Yeah, equating it to uh, a violation of their personal rights. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that goes so, you know, with Japan's, you know, collectivism to some degree, right? Like, you know, they're all in this together, 
you know, that, that sort of resonates uh, throughout so many parts of, of Japanese culture, but especially kind of the, the modern uh, era. And I'm sure people would argue the, the pros and cons of that, but I think that that's been a big part of their reason uh, or, or of their ability to adapt to all of, all of this. And then if you look at like the VTuber, you know, phenomenon, you know, how much have anime fans throughout different series um, that, you know, we've watched been introduced like to concepts such as Neats and Hikikomori's like there's, there's already, you know, not a great culture, but there, there was existing cultures in the past of, of people who were shut in and didn't really want to leave their house. Hold my sake. <laughs> that's what I'm thinking. I mean, that's what it is, right? And like, even like, you know, if you look back to, you know, their interactions with the outside world, I'm sure Japan is, is missing their international tourism, but, you know, it, they definitely want their international tourism back, but they can also take it and leave it. They can, they can wait. There's plenty of Japanese oh, they said, people to they have said, tourism. They said come back, didn't they, Jeff? Oh. Yeah. Now there's that belief. And they just got to make sure to keep the demand. And that, that I end. guess a lot of animators, they talked about how it used to be we had a lot of different imaginative places we couldn't visit, but a lot of directors, and of course they mentioned um, your name and many others, Makoto Shinkai, Shinkai yeah. that it's based in reality that you can visit a lot of these places and that that's what some people are doing. And unfortunately, sometimes it gets too much because we've heard many places where they said, you could just please not uh, leave any garbage and please don't do anything disrespectful. Yeah, the for better, there's your for better or worse right there. Mm. It's, yeah, and I guess uh, just to develop that point just for a couple seconds, it's more like because of the evolution of what's been depicted in anime, 70s, 80s, you saw giant mechs, space operas set in fantasy worlds or space worlds, not realistic places. But in recent years, the 90s, the aughts, the 2010s, the settings have been more slice of, have been more true to life. Slice of life, right? The sli- mm-hmm. uh, high school. I would Places that would actually exist uh, were popular settings. And I, like, I start to... Like, to me, I think... I, I don't know exactly when, when that started, but... Uh, but I started to notice it, saying something like a some Studio Ghibli works. I I, I keep mentioning my uh, my love for for ocean waves, and I know they there was a feature in the DVDs or Blu-rays that talked about the real settings used in the production of that of that of that movie. So. Yeah, once again, drawing the parallels between Shinkai and uh, and Miyazaki, although you know Ocean Waves was not a Miyazaki film, but there, but the parallels between comics and uh, Studio Ghibli, you have those instances. And yes, tur- uh, anime tourism is the thing. I, I kind of laughed when I heard the fr- when I heard the name Anime Pilgrimage '88. <laughs> I laughed out loud when I heard that when uh, I heard that, that term brought up by by Roland Kelts because that's a quickly a play on the Shik- Shikoku Pilgrimage. If anybody knows about that, you know you guys you guys know about that, right? 
the fa- the Shikoku pilgrimage, and which is considered one of the great religious pa- uh, passages in uh, in Japan, which is which ta- which is a uh, a travel to eighty eight shrines and I forgot which uh, island, but it's it's considered uh, it's considered um, a very spiritual journey. Should one ever uh, take uh, undertake it in any form. And they, and they don't have to necessarily find all 88 shrines in one go. Like people just go, like take in a few at a time. But it's considered quite the thing to do. For for reasons that we might touch on later, I'm really curious what uh, what the criteria were was for selecting those 88 points. I guess that's where that's uh, worth looking up sometime. It's part of the journey, right? <laughs> that's part of it. Be- <laughs> Thank you. Way to go. Well said. <laughs> so Nakanishi and Celts, always, um, I know that their key bottom line points was always about how isolationism helped flourish their own pop culture or their own native culture, so to speak. And how they transformed once they went abroad and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Heard that many times before, but it's kind of that interest they said of how it parallels to COVID times, which you didn't really think. And you're like, that. I can see that. There's a parallel in one way, but obviously there's a deviation that happens, but that's more because of the times we're in. No, of course. Because the technology didn't, the technology we have today obviously did not exist during the, you know, 17th, 18th century. Right? So there's a degree of isolationism in some ways, but there's a unique type of connectivity that comes in. That presents itself and becomes a bit of a catalyst for the way for another form. That's sort of what's happened here, right? Pandemic was a different type of cutoff, but anime and manga have strangely done well. And that that sort of comes back to our discussion last episode when ICV2 talked to those executives from from Viz and Seven Cs and DJ mm-hmm. Melky. No, it was uh, Yen Press. Kurt Hassler was the oh. one. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah, was> <sighs> well, I well, yeah. Wait, wait, wait to steal the thunder from my uh, punchline there. Okay. <laughs> 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 but uh, this is a kind of an offshoot, uh, like an extension of all of that. This uh, this industry. And what is it? Like Celts brought up the fact that. Japan has 11 of the 25 highest grossing media franchises of all time. Yeah. Pokemon, Hello Kitty, Winnie the Pooh, Mickey Mouse, Star Wars, and uh, how do you pronounce it? Unpon Man. Unpon Man. Man. Being, number, being the Man, top six. I had heard I'd seen that one, and that one's the interesting one. And I think, Jess, you had mentioned it yeah, in like, conversation as well. It's and ridiculous it to me. <laughs> I like, think it's not in English speaking places. I think it's in other places yeah. that it definitely has its viewers, as you said, maybe in other parts of East Asia and Southeast Asia, maybe even in some Spanish speaking and maybe even in some Arab regions. You never know. Yeah, and, and because it could be localized. It is one of those series that could be uh, localized into the uh, Middle Eastern markets that a lot of you know teenager focused anime can't, because uh, if anyone doesn't know, Unpan Man is essentially a preschool show, which is partly why I'm you know kind of flabbergasted that it made it into that top six list. Like that's you know imagining like oh, I'm dating myself, but like naughty or like 
Arthur being the top, you know, 10. Arthur Arthur might be skewing too old, actually. More like Caillou or, you know, uh, Teletubbies. <laughs> oh, Caillou. Caillou, Caillou uh, to a lot of people, is French for um, punch in the mouth. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. People, people age that. out of uh, Anpan Man at, like, age five, to be honest. Like, at... at sort of that would be on the old end i mean good for it like but it's it's surprising that it's on that list um but that list also made me think about what you were talking about just a few minutes ago mike about the anime tourism and sort of and this kind of came up at the end of the uh the talk as well but the kind of capital that anime pop culture has that is only kind of rivaled by the usa like when I think about when COVID ends, uh, you know, the places I want to go, you know, now that uh, the orange one is gone, I kind of like to go to the U.S. again. Uh, and Japan oh. is probably number <laughs> one on my list. Um, and then the other places are just places that I have friends or have been before. But, uh, you know, the top two are probably Japan and the U.S., um, not necessarily connected solely to, you know, media franchises. But, you know, I think that there's an interesting power there that doesn't exist in, in other countries. Um, at an least interesting the same hook. scale. Yeah. Um, like at the end of the talk there, they, someone brought up like, you know, oh, China's expanding its uh, animation and, and manga. And what about, uh, you know, South Korea and India? Um, and yes, I think all of these countries are definitely ramping up, um, you know, worldwide appeal and uh, production. But I don't see them closing in on Japan and the U.S. when it comes to those things. My thought was, okay, the appeal, like, yeah, it comes back down. Like, it had me thinking about, in some ways, Korea, China, like, they're try they're playing catch up in one way and really try. And some of it's even government sponsored the promotion of, you know, the those soft soft powers, soft culture, right. And they're and you know some are really trying to press it harder than others, the governments. So I mean, K-pop yeah, is but, remarkably successful. Yeah, and that was what I was going to bring up. And I and think... and, for, and then I'll let you speak. Sorry, James. Go ahead. It, it's more of a case of okay, well, the, well, where was Japan's initial appeal? It felt more organic. It wasn't uh, like no, but no real. Like it wasn't highly marketed. It's just people stumbled on it and really loved it. And then people, and then that's where it really started to take off because the people who grew, who stumbled on it and loved it really want to either want to share it or buy it all themselves and keep As it all to Kel themselves. Said, it was demand driven. Mm -hmm. Unlike the others, it wasn't a fake demand. It was, it wasn't, a, that's the word. It wasn't artificial, which comes back down, which, and comes back down to one part of our conversation with Matt Alt probably the issue uh, one of the bigger issues with the cool japan initiative it's trying to keep it more go more government promoted when that's not how we got there okay now back all right go ahead james yeah that's what i was gonna say the kelts point about how it was demand driven and stuff like that and then how when these governments and different things are trying to reach out and stuff like that some find more success than others. And I think they mentioned K-pop is one of the things where K-pop has had better success now than J-pop. And J-pop is just okay and fine with just settling for the domestic market while K-pop is actually going over to LA, working with 
those producers and stuff like that and then bringing stuff back to uh, soul and stuff like that and having that dialogue back and forth so that they can reach all the dance halls across the world whereas Kelts and a few of the others were well I think it was actually Kelts specifically said that the J-pop is just oh we're just going to be good enough with gang signs someone will sing a karaoke and <laughs> once again and once again it ends up not necessarily counting on it but somebody else finding it organically and then loving it in their own way. Whereas, yeah, once you said in Korea, it was just more like it happened. The popularity happened, but boy, it just sounded all forced or or at least um, pursued. I think that's the better word. It was pursued specifically. But it's that's sort of that's sort of the. Um, that could be where the fork in the road, so to speak, is about to happen. Because I think they, in many respects, um, like part of the discussion was looking into the crystal ball, ball past COVID times, past the pandemic, right? And, and sorry, go ahead, Jim, go ahead, uh, Jim. Yeah, no, and maybe and I'll add to that. I think that like near the end of the the talk there, I think it was um, maybe Celts who who led the this discussion. One of the things that really fascinated me was this, and we've talked about it, I think we've talked about it, or at least the, the podcast has, is that idea of, you know, how Japan or how Japanese are these series going to be moving forward? And are the, the more Japanese-focused series going to be the ones that are incredibly popular? Um, one quote that, um, you know, someone said is that, you know, if you're in Brazil, Goku is Brazilian. If you're, you know, in you know, the US, he's, he's American. Um, and I'm looking at a lot of, of some of these, uh, you know, overseas hits. And a lot of them, uh, if you look at Dragon Ball or Saint Seiya or One Piece, uh, there's not much, um, I mean, Dragon Ball, there's some Japanese elements there, but it is a fictional setting. Um, and there's Japanese elements even in something like Pokemon. But, you know, it is this sort of just, you know, Japanese enough, but just universal enough that it has this appeal or it can easily find this appeal outside of Japan. And I'm really curious if there is going to be, you know, this move to more Japanese um, focus and if that's going to have an impact on sort of the success of future uh, series. Um, I'm still kind of waiting to see what happens with demon slayer as far as a north american phenomenon kind of effect and you know there's there's of course series yet to come and i think that this is also what might hold china back in the sense that if from what i've seen of china's animation output it has been very pandering to chinese sensibilities where you know japan has been you know, their series are always Japanese and with the Japanese spirit, but aesthetically there's been more variety there from what I've seen. The China thing will be interesting because in the end, the appeal to Chinese sensibilities, we are talking 1 billion plus. We yeah. are talking <laughs> probably the better part of the quarter of the world, quarter of the world's population. That's not chump change. And they already have very strict guidelines as is, so no ghosts but it's interesting actually it was celts you were thinking of i believe uh jeff and that was the interesting thing too i think 
like uh, Nakajima and uh, Kelts had some interesting back and forth on that part, talking about, well, Kelts especially, he's talked about Oprah, remember? And he mm-hmm. said, remember, they had the interview uh, with uh, Harry and uh, that between Oprah. And, and he had to explain to people <laughs> yeah. who Oprah was in Japan because they didn't know who Oprah was. But people here, it's like, you know who Oprah is. And then as they said, Goku is Goku, Sailor Moon is Sailor Moon. Like, it transitions through things you don't really have to explain and stuff like that. And that was the thing I didn't think about that you said that if they're two Japanese and stuff like that, which is interesting because remember he said the tribes analogy where it's like, this is the one that wants the traditional animation and as much Japanese. This is the one that probably will do the cross promotions and stuff like that and doesn't mind the CG and stuff like that. And so even it'll be the casual consumer and stuff like that. And and even that that initial discussion on how the Japanese audience is splitting over uh, co-productions um, like that's, I think, a really interesting topic to me. Like, you know, I, I imagine something like Cannon Busters wouldn't do well in Japan. I'm even curious about something, you know, like Great Pretender, which is relatively, you know, completely Japanese made, but um, or at least a high percentage, but has such an international um, focus to the story. Um, and, you know, there's been co-productions you know, since the almost the beginning of, of animation. But, um, you know, the, the talk that, you know, there's been more of it, there's been more discussions, uh, there's more willingness to talk to uh, France and the US and uh, probably other countries around the world about co-productions. And the fact that there's going to be anime fans that aren't a fan of of anything that isn't, you know, what they are now considering pure anime, which is so interesting to me because even a couple years ago, if you go to Japan and talk to Japanese people, anything animation is is called anime. They would call Powerpuff Girls anime, like Simpsons would be anime. But it, it seems like it's finally changing almost to skew more to how North Americans would consider it, where, you know, only animation made in in japan and japanese voice acted and is anime and you know things like the original teen titans and avatar are anime inspired but you know it must be (laughs) japanese in order to be anime um and then where does that leave something that is a co-production you know your your cyber it's all a a muddled soup right jeff as long as we enjoy and stuff like that yeah that's 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 my that's my opinion but i'm i'm you know, I, I love Obon Star Racer, Cyber Six, you know, co- co-productions are some of my favorites, but I'm really curious about how the Japanese audience is going to take it and if that will end up, you know, ceasing the production. Like, hopefully things like Netflix, you know, keep this alive, even if, you know, you never see it in your animates or, or other Japanese retailers. Like, you know, you're not going to see huge merchandising pulls or pushes, but uh, I, I'm I desperately want to uh, to see these kind of collaborations continue. And I see, think they talked about that with Netflix too in the live action Japanese that they're looking at more of that again, like we had talked about before. They want to use and be authentic and that Toho, they want to take some of their sound stages and use the people that probably normally would be doing stuff for TV and that and use it for streaming and bring it to the world, which is interesting. 
just to back backtrack just for a couple seconds so we um so the listeners have a sense of the concepts and the thoughts that maybe Celts expressed just to clear it up one of Celts's predictions is that fandom will divide itself kind of be there'll be a bit of a schism in fandom those looking some hardcore devotees looking for a more pure anime as as uh, Jeff just mentioned, and that's the term that was actually used, Japanese all the way. And then there'll be another segment of fandom, a softer audience who will be okay with the hybrid and co-produced anime. That's that's the key thing. When when I think hear those terms, when I hear those possible divisions, it sort of made me think about everything that happened to the tra- um, to um, oh I forgot the translator's name. We talked about it. Caleb, uh, oh, Caleb Cook, yes, Caleb Cook, yes, and what he was going through because, in many respects, I'm thinking that's the type of schism he faced. He faced that hardcore devotee schism, he faced those hardcore fans who got on his case. Like, that's what because that's that's the um issue that's the issue I'm I'm having when I hear those terms. Like, that's what I start to think about. And pair up that thought with how Nakajima and Nakanishi ultimately think how, look into their versions of the crystal ball in five years. Well, it's, it hasn't been that bad. I mean, one thing that, that, that it might have done, that COVID times have done, or in recent years have done, is put Japan more accepting of the subscription economy which wasn't a new term for me but i i get it right so japan has more gotten into it but here but i think it's nakanishi that uh that kind of um, made an interesting point towards the end the big issue is Japan, in some ways, as time goes, has to redefine itself. And dealing with the idea of stirring the pot is something that Japan has mm. historically has had its issues with. But that's sort of what it needs to do. And the problem is, in many respects, it's going, so to speak, kicking and screaming because it's an aging population and it's a shrinking, po- and ultimately it's going to one that shrinks it's the it's gotten it's that idea or it's that concept that's forced the industry to look outside of its borders because their own domestic market is shrinking or is in the process is in the position to shrink in the next number of decades but it's but it's out there it's beyond their borders and, and they have to true. compete and they have to compete for it now or china yeah. or china korea taiwan india they'll take it instead but they but they have a leg up because of the organic grown fandom that 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 was nurtured and could be passed on through generations and the fact that japan is still seen as a a safe you know, place to visit um, that was mentioned in that tourism bit. Um, there's, you know, when you're, you're looking at uh, Japanese culture and um, 
I guess, pop culture as well, there's kind of something for everyone. Um, I sound like I'm advertising like it's Disney or something, but, um, you know, there, it, it does have, have a lot to offer and is relatively easy, ex- easily accessible, um, you know, compared to a lot of these, these other um, countries. And I think that, you know, places like South Korea and Taiwan can, um, you know, probably start competing. I mean, Taiwan has a lot of political problems or challenges, not problems. Um, but I think Japan is still kind of set up for, for success here as, as difficult as it might be, you know, with that, that aging population and the kicking and screaming, but, you know, as with a lot of these issues, like if you look at, you know, things like Osaka, the racism Osaka based, that's definitely a problem. And Naomi of, Osaka, the yes, tennis player, just, yes, to, yeah. just to clear that up. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Um, you know, if you look at some of the difficulties or, um, you know, uh, challenges she's had with racism, you know, those are definitely huge problems and, and sort of betray a lot of, um, you know, issues Japan has in general. But I'm also thinking like, I'm not sure if that if she would have had the amount of success and popularity she has, if, you know, she came about 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Um, And I think that a lot of the acceptance, you know, despite the racism, a lot of the acceptance that she's having is because Japan is changing and the young people in Japan, you know, are getting a little bit louder. Um, You know, there's been LGBT rights small victories in japan but they're they're coming um the, well, i think this week yeah. they announced the acceptance of same, uh, some acceptance of same-sex marriages yeah. if i'm oh, not mistaken that's, that's interesting i know they were talking about uh, i was looking at a dvd for a lupin special because justin savakis was reading writing something about uh, homophobia in 90s anime because of one of the things they were working on and one of the key points they said it was ipsos read and i think it was maybe 10 years ago, so we're talking 2011, 2012, they said 5% of the Japanese population said they knew someone in the LGBT or someone that was gay and stuff like that. And that's just unthinkable to think anywhere else in a lot of places back then, you know what I mean? But change does happen. Mm-hmm. And hopefully we're. it takes time, but it's moving positive directions. So Japan, yeah, but- Japan is slow, but I think that with a lot of these things you're going to see slow compared to other countries, but fast compared to the Japan of 20 years ago, for example. Fair point. And it was interesting on the anime point, they said the thing with the aging population is that now the younger generation is starting to get into some of those positions and they're not really surprised when it's like, Oh, the people outside really like anime or they like my manga or they like this thing. And they already know the that's embraced so that they can give the artwork or whatever they're doing creatively a new lens, a new outlook. And maybe uh, we'll see something different in the next few years, in the next 20, 25, 50 years mm-hmm. to redefine Japan. Yeah. Well, the interesting part is we talk about the youth, but then we talk about, you know, the elder, uh, like the older population. Let's go back to Demon Slayer for a couple seconds here. Remember. I mean, I think Nakajima hinted Demon Slayer held an appeal to an older to older crowds too, because like yeah, we talked about the yokai themes, 
But there were some good universal themes that ended up resonating. Protecting family, perseverance, suffering. But, the, but you know, but it also had some, some parts in, ja- in traditional Japanese folklore that led up to, that helped its success. Mm-hmm. Now, now here's the question. Now here's a question that I know we can't definitively answer, but I'm wondering, but I want to see what people think. Once again, Demon Slayer, the movie, is the highest grossing film domestically in Japan all time in theaters. Is it because it's Demon Slayer or was it because of pent-up demand during the the pandemic? And they said they juiced it, that it would be in more theaters and stuff like that. I forget what they called it, like kind of like a super chair stuff going across all these theaters and stuff like that. But I think it was both, that it crossed all these generations and then the thing that there wasn't much to see, it didn't have much competition. So everyone could go and have this communal experience. You know what I mean? Not like everyone in the seats, but still to a degree that we haven't seen in a long time. And there's the hope now with with its possible coming into the with its coming into North America. We can see some of that. Not like don't do not expect Demon Slayers to be gangbusters in a movie theater here in North America. I think they loosened the restrictions when it started to come out and stuff like that. So there were definitely oh, there, a yeah. lot more people in the theaters, a lot more <laughs> options than what we'll probably have. We'll probably be in hazmat suits and like perfect, maybe one to a row. Storm. Maybe a perfect storm for Demon Slayer there. You know? But it could also said, this, be this, I was just going to say, it could also be a situation like Animal Crossing uh, that released last March where it would have been successful, but because of the pandemic, it just got an extra boost. Oh, wow. You just had to say Animal Crossing. There, That made news earlier this week, too. Oh, oh because of the Sanrio cards? Yeah, Sanrio cards. I think they were at Best Buy. Were they at any other places in Canada? Because I know it was Best Buy. Which well, they were gone. Best Buy here, but I'm not sure if it's Target in the states. Because in the states, it was an exclusive, wasn't it? I think it was Target. Tar- Target only, I think. But oh, you know, uh, no, it might have been more here than just Best Buy. But I know it was at Best Buy. How much? And how much would you flip them for? Oh my goodness! Well, I heard they were flipping Demon uh, Slayer. Uh, what was it? Cards or whatever that McDonald's was doing as a promotion. Remember that? It was just as bad as the uh, Pokemon one in the states. Oh boy! Oh, okay. Really? Well. And that was anyway. for Happy Meals too, I believe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> as I said, we didn't. As I said, we we're basically anything we're talking about in all of this. We're scratching the surface about a lot of what was said, and, and obviously it was very all jumbled, um, all jumbled thoughts from from the panel. So, if you want to see what it, how it uh, actually does flow, <laughs> watch the video. We're gonna put a put a link to the YouTube presentation of this panel in the show notes. But I think it definitely covered more than just anime, because I think that's another thing to think about, Mike, is that a lot of these ones that the Japan Foundation at different parts of North America, they did a lot of different things about manga and anime and J-pop and stuff. But sometimes they do the traditional arts. But 
they definitely, that one felt, and we're seeing more of them, that they're covering many more different facets, I feel, of Japanese culture, which is always fascinating to learn and stuff like that. And that's the thing I'm sure as Jeff would agree is going there yourself and stuff and experiencing all these different new things you never saw or dreamed of before going seeing the rich cultural history, like outside of a museum, going to a temple and stuff like that and feeling that environment. Mm -hmm. Well, as I said, we'll put a link up. Uh, Jeff, do you have, do you have anything to add? No, I think that was a, a good um, a good way to put it. That I think that uh, the there is a power of um, you know what they they called anime tourism, but general tourism as well. Um, and you know, I think I've I've probably even mentioned this on on the podcast before, but I would definitely recommend like even some of the mundane activities, like going to a, a mid-sized town. Uh, you know, seeing like you know, there's all those shots of of shopping arcades and even regular malls and uh, festivals. You know, the individual festivals in different towns and cities. Um, sort of you know, going beyond the actual general Touristy locations stuff. or Just... yeah or, or even like the anime tourism to you know experiencing things that maybe you've seen characters experience you know in the in different series i guess that's why um you make me think of uh one scene in marmalade boy years ago when i think his name was michael funny enough the character when he uh, comes as an exchange student and he takes fascination with just going to a a uh, conveyor belt sushi place. Yeah, exactly. I think it's that feeling. I think it's, that's what that's the type of feeling you're referring to. There, there's a magic to convenience stores. You know, like they're they're famous, but like once once you've kind of experienced them, there's you know convenience stores here are like pale in comparison. There's a whole vibe. Um, even grocery stores, they play music at certain times, um, and I think that you know those are the kind of things that I hope you know people do experience once people can travel to Japan again. But um, before people can travel to Japan, you're probably going to be able to access your local Japanese or Japanese Canadian slash American cultural centers. And I would definitely advise any listeners to access uh, those. Um, I know, you know, uh, here in Canada, um, up in North York, um, we have the Japanese Canadian uh, Cultural Center. Um, I haven't been, but Hamilton apparently has a wonderful um, cultural center there. Um, obviously, the talk we, uh, you know, just we're referring to, um, that's Texas, right? Um, mm -hmm. You know, Japan America Society. Yeah, yeah like Dallas Fort Worth. Yeah, they mentioned that their facilities, I think, more of a, a you know, um, I guess, community center, uh, Japan foundation model kind of uh, place. Um, you know, there's, I would definitely, you know, try to, um, you know, visit some of those places, uh, you know, as a, I guess, a stopgap. I'm, I'm hoping those will open before tourism or uh, borders open. But uh, yeah, yeah, that's the, my main recommendation there. Mm -hmm. And I'll end off by, okay. Uh, first of all, I'm going to start by ending this part off by saying, couldn't you tell who watched the video and who didn't? <laughs> Definitely Kevin and Mo. They had a lot to say. Yeah. <laughs> Second, it's funny you mentioned Hamilton, Jeff, uh, in terms of, uh, in terms of um, a Canadian, a Japanese 
Canadian Cultural Center. I, I, I'll take you at your word. I, I didn't. I wasn't aware of one. But it's just funny you mentioned it because do you remember the story back in version one? I told the story of Susan Tucci, the uh, woman who had Hello Japan, the uh, Japanese show that once aired on City TV in their chin block. And uh, yeah, now that I think about it, Hello Japan is a probably a take on Hello Kitty. She held the. I told you she held the the Canadian rights to a lot of NHK programming in the eighties and nineties, and she and probably most notably amongst that was the Kohaku Utakasen, the Red and White Show. And I mentioned for everything that aired, she she aired Hello Japan on City TV, but she didn't air the uh, Kohaku on it. Though the. The Kohaku Utakasen was presented as a tape delay show, New Year's Day, on CHCH TV, Hamilton. And I think it was a uh, like she went all uh, from what I could gather, she went all out to get sponsors to do to to help her with the airing of that every year. So it was a it was a big thing for um for the Tsuji family when they did that until um until she passed away in two thousand. But it was just, you made me think of that. You made me think of her. And when when um, the Red and White show used to air on local TV here, you made me think of that. So uh, thanks for, uh, that's not sarcastic, <laughs> but thank you for uh, making helping me remember that. It was a good memory. I'm glad. So anyway, um, we did mention the Japan America Society. This video, we'll put it up. There was one other thing we did mention as well. The Japan Foundation New York on March 30th, which is Tuesday. Oh, wait, the day with this episode goes up. Uh, well, I'm sure you'll see the replay. They're going to continue their series as well on um, on J Japanese pop culture with a academic lean. And they're going to talk a little bit more at length about stage adaptations, 2.5D as they call it, uh, stage adaptations of anime manga properties. So uh, we'll put a link to that one more time, and for sure, we'll put up the link to the replay when that eventually goes up. But there's another one to look forward to. And as I said, give yourself, if you have the time, give yourself the time to watch all of these. Okay, before we go tonight, um, first of all, we're, I, I'm loathe to talk, ask anyone on their queue, on their Actually, I was going to say, there was one thing I was going to oh, mention, yeah. and remember okay, let's, I let's, told you about it, Mike, was let's go if they want to uh, stories do an online uh, calendar, the Ace Attorney uh, Online Orchestra, supposedly happening uh, April 10th, I believe, and you can get tickets for that. They're doing it uh, for people outside Japan, which is interesting. That's and interesting. I believe it, and that one, I believe they're doing from Japan, but it's interesting. I don't think that they're showing it in Japan and in certain places in Asia. It's mostly outside of Asia that they're showing it. And that's gonna and it's paid though. So you have to pay for an online ticket and then you watch the stream and that's happening on uh, Saturday, April tenth, uh, they said. Hey, two days before I can get a haircut again. And probably and I think that they, they said the ticket price is set at forty two dollars, but I'm not sure if that's American or not. It probably is American. Probably is. Uh, that's uh, too rich for my blood. I admit, but, it, but, uh, but I, but they're fans. 
Well, okay. it's the best we can do uh, because remember, we've had many concerts pass through uh, Toronto and stuff like that. And many of us have uh, enjoyed those video game concerts over the years. So it's uh, oh, yeah, nice to have something out like there. Play and Final Fantasy concert. And yeah, I get it. Video games live. Mm-hmm, those things. Correct. Okay. Do we want to mention just uh, some items in brief, uh, just a quick item in brief, just for a reaction, just to see before we end off tonight? Like two things caught my attention, I will say, and they're all both live action type stories. Um, word came down this week that the Cowboy Bebop live action has finished taping. I didn't even know they restarted. I one of the they, uh, one uh, of the minor stories, didn't they? I yeah, it was they mentioned. mentioned minor that they had restarted because. Okay. Uh, the main guy, remember, it uh, healed yeah, he, up and stuff like that, and they gave John him Cho. the top. Yeah. Yeah. It just it, it it was lost on me, and so they finished it up. And um, well, I'd be curious to watch it for probably cynical reasons. I think people say they'll watch it for cynical reasons. I think it's like the NAS, <laughs> uh, waiting for the NASCAR crash. I think people are more confident about this than they were something like Death Note. Um, I haven't seen quite as many detractors uh, for Cowboy Bebop as compared to a lot of the other um, Western live action series that have been created. I I think they just, I I think also they're just having fun with it too. Remember the only other promo we've seen of it is them, is the rest (laughs) of the crew meeting Ayn for the first time. I thought that was a great uh, promo. like, has been involved in stuff yeah. like that. Yes, we are involved yes. for the future too, they said. So that's, yeah. So it's, well. that's... it's interesting though. They're doing it in New Zealand. So, mm-hmm. but Hey, yeah, I just want to see the dog. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> see, I got one of the Queens corgis to play on. That's what they did. Yeah, that was great. Well, <laughs> I, mean, I think all the Queens corgis passed away already. I think she got new ones. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so um, well they haven't announced a release date and yes there's releases coming so i'm pretty sure we'll get to talk about way of the house husband next episode or something to that effect that should be there's our also... next watch party oh way of the house well i guess uh, i i do have to think about my next uh my next watch um although i although i am i am continue i decided to just start continuing into season three of midnight diner so and now i'm seeing where all Everything referred to in the final two seasons, in the two Netflix seasons of Midnight Diner, there's references to things that happened in the past. Now we get to see some of that past play out in the uh, in the episodes that I'm I've been watching now. So it's been it's been fun, and as I said, I just started season three of it. So there's my current watch, and that's for what it's worth. Finally, they announced this week that. There will be a live action Ghosts of Tsushima movie. I don't know if you heard it. Did you hear about that one, James? Yes, I did hear about that one. And we saw that Sucker Punch uh, tweeted that out and stuff like that. And I think it was a no brainer. I think we knew that was likely going to happen that if you're big enough, and especially given how that panned out, especially the influences they had. They, we knew they'd probably do a movie on it, and Sony has it all, so I'm sure they'll go full gangbusters on that. Yeah, and I think an online online petition has started for uh, to get the motion capture actor behind Jin to actually play him this time in this movie. Yeah, no, he did some great work. They had some great interviews on that. And the, I, there were some other ones the few weeks before where they were talking about Ghost of Tsushima, and the thing about that was interesting 
was the low times that they never really thought of. It's like, oh, we're doing things. But somehow everyone is so amazed because it feels like a film because there's just no loading times at all. You're just going in like a living, playing movie like you've never mm-hmm. experienced before. And they said, oh, it was just optimization, all this other things. And they didn't realize how far we've come that people had that visceral experience. Yeah. And you could even do it in black and white if you want the Kurosawa <laughs> <Yeah>. version. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the, you bring up an interesting point because this is why people are hopeful for this version and it won't be a, a train wreck because of its inspirations. It was inspired by samurai films, by Kurosawa. So there's a lot of high hopes that this won't, this will turn out very well. And uh, considering a lot of the same, a lot of the similar creative forces are here, and I think the other thing was we can this hopeful. one. Remember, it wasn't done by uh, Japan Studio uh, in Japan. It was done by Sucker Punch, mm. which is North American stuff like that, and their inspirations and in how many people in Japan, when they were playing, they had a visceral reaction. Said these guys did some great, fantastic work that they just weren't expecting, and they loved it too. People took it to their hearts too, even though it was from a foreign uh, studio and stuff like that. Yeah. So? so it cross borders everywhere and stuff like that. And it's still going to keep going full circle, mm-hmm. which is the power of pop culture, as we talked and about before. And there's the hopes. So that's uh, all that's like, those are the two uh, stories that caught, caught our, our attention. And maybe we'll start to wind it down from there. Although I want to give Kevin and Mohammed a minute to speak. Because they hardly spoke in this uh, in this uh, segment. Yeah. Okay, do you? And uh, okay, I'll, I'll, let's just say. um. Well, is there anything you guys want to add? I mean, you guys can mention whatever's in the queue. Uh, I'll give you guys the chance to right now before we go tonight. Is there anything in your reading and watching queue or something that you think we should uh, pay attention to? Or Nope. That's it? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> nothing, you... n- nothing really. I'm looking forward to Ways of the House Husband when that comes out in a week or two. Mm-hmm. And, I, and as I said, we'll probably end up uh, talking first impressions of that uh, when we uh, record again in a couple weeks, assuming we're it's it's still it's two weeks again before we talk, Kevin. Yeah, with I didn't participate in the uh, the conversation mostly just because I didn't get around to uh, listening to the presentation. Don't worry, don't worry, you'll you're getting a passing grade. <laughs> I Thursday was when I was listening to. Uh, the encore presentation of the manga editor. Oh yes, that's and right. That was when I was watching too. I didn't realize it was encore presentation because I mentioned that in our chat, Kevin, and I thought it was a new one, but no, it was encore of uh, the anime New York uh, presentation we had seen before. But it was still fun, and all the people that were involved were there in the chat, so I'm sure they had a ball too. Yeah, it was. It was interesting seeing. Uh, other manga editors in that live chat as it was going on and uh i i i i liked how prison school was brought up in the in the chat or in the presentation at one point and then i was just commenting on how i really did like how yen pressed uh did the lettering and the translation and then i did get a comment back from the yen press editor and 
he I was. Can't remember if it was Carl. Yeah, Carl did that one. Carl right? Lee. So yeah. he he talked to. He must have messaged. You. Like they were all in there. It was interesting, as you said, other editors. He he mentioned how uh, Cole Ransom, who translated the prison school manga, gave him a great base of uh a great a great translation base for him to work with when it came to like translating any potential jokes or like hmm. or situations that may have been a little tricky so i thought that was a neat little tidbit of info that he provided hmm. i i I, mi- I missed the replay so is there a chance to watch that again or not i'm not sure i i didn't I get like around it was to on it. youtube still right but i'm not sure if the anime new york one still is maybe the anime news network one might be on but i'm not sure for how long but it was definitely something still worth watching and stuff like that and still relevant as kevin said like them talking about their experiences and the other thing of does the editor of course need to know uh, japanese as well as the translator and their different beliefs and stuff like that on Mm -hmm. that and some were stronger than other and the one fella that worked is uh, freelancing now, but used to do a bit of Kodansha and uh, Vertical. He was more the belief you did need some Japanese and stuff like that, because what if your translator isn't having their best more, their best day and stuff like that? It's like, so that someone needs to pick up the slack and stuff like that. But as most of them, as they went on, said, you don't need like to be fully fluent, but it's still good to know and stuff like that. Well, I mean, we've had like, it's an offshoot of the discussions uh, of the thoughts we've expressed in recent episodes too. And I guess it comes down to what other people have had thoughts on in regards to seven seas and light novels, which I know had a little update on that this week where they were going to offer uh, an update on the ebook versions. And then some of the novels when they were reprinted would be properly corrected. I think that was for classroom of the elite. And then, uh, jobless reincarnation now some of the other ones hopefully that'll happen for them soon but the funny thing i thought about that in regards to physical media i'm sure kevin would get a kick out of it is when they talk about physical media kevin and about those new paperback editions coming in like late april may they said Mm -hmm. customers who bought earlier print editions can return them to or exchange them to the retailers where they purchased subject to each retailer's return policy which means you'll never be able to return yeah (laughs) you'll have to rebuy that and hope you're getting the correct version so you'd have to be in the store to know and look at that copyright page to know it is a second edition or whatever edition it's supposed to be right kind of leaves you hanging when you're on the physical media compared to this that just sounds that just sounds so dickish. That rubbed me the wrong know. way because yeah. So you agree? Okay, cool. Yeah, and that rubbed me the wrong way when I read it, and I was looking at it, and I'm just like, I know there's a reason why this all sounds the way and why it should be that way, but I said it still just does not feel good when I read that. Mm-hmm. You, you made the mistake. You should be willing to provide a replacement program. Sure, like. And you know what? I can the customer can bear the the cost of shipping. That's fine, but but really, like you're because like if you go for a massive book chain, like even then that could be a bit of a stretch depending on when you bought it. But if you bought if it's for some of those older titles, because some of those were like older volumes, 
Yeah, Unless and that's what I was thinking. That, then you're just screwed. And good mm-hmm. luck trying to get an independent bookstore to help you out because in most cases, it's going to be final sale no matter what. And as you said, some of those 7C stuff have had a tendency to go on a print and stuff like that. But a lot of people said they have been shaken in the faith of 7C's light novel line. Mangas have been fine, but the light novel line definitely has been shaken. They were in damage control. The only thing I can tell people is if you are going to buy a light novel and you want to support 7C's, I've enjoyed Restaurant to Another World. I know they did a good job on the translation and everything is there that should be. And it's a fun series. but. For some series, I guess we just got to see how it goes. And it's a new uh, world with light novels because we don't have the pictures and all this other stuff. So you kind of have to hope that it was in good hands, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Or as we said, we should uh, spruce up on our Japanese and uh, get an original <laughs> edition. <laughs> yeah, that would help too. Also, uh, pretty uh, cool. quick aside, uh, Dempa announced that they licensed uh we were 11 or they were 11 and that's the new version right kevin i saw like the 2019 uh, version that was to celebrate uh 50 years or what Mm -hmm. the 50th anniversary yeah and there's some parts that i think viz did not release that were in that version that they're gonna have which will be nice okay yeah we never thought that would have seen the light of day (laughs) i because that was early viz uh, that they did a bit it. of that, didn't they? Sorry? Mm-hmm. That was early viz that they released some of We Are Eleven, I thought. Was that in four JoJo stories? I don't that's know. I could, it could be maybe some of that. But maybe that's why I'm thinking it. Because I heard a couple very... people like, in the tweet thread mentioning that. So, that, but, so I don't know for sure because I just never... You know, I was too young when that okay. came out already. Yeah, but, I mean, yeah it was it was way back. Let's put it that way. But yeah, I may not have even been alive when that was coming out. But okay. Fanagraphics has released some of the old work uh, by that creator, and now we're seeing more, which is always great to see the old stuff. And even uh, I heard uh, Rosa Versailles, uh, the fourth volume, it sounds like it has finally come out. So if you want to track that down, Kevin, you better get on your horse. I think it's in stock of chapters. <laughs> one, <laughs> one last it thing. It is expensive, uh... I admit. But yeah, before okay. you before you completely end off, Mike, um, I just really need to mention this because in four days the world will become a better place. Um, angels will fall from the heavens and bestow <laughs> upon us the Shaman King remake, April first. Oh uh, finally, uh, the world will be able to start seeing the uh, Hiroyuki Takei's uh, magnum opus in uh, animation <laughs> form with a, a black character with improved lips and. All the character <laughs> having having beautiful animation and and quality. I'm hope quality. Wait, but I Jeff, hope it sustains itself. Was that Netflix though? I yeah, yeah. Netflix. So I'm not sure if there's going to okay. be a bit of delay. But... It'll so it'll it'll exist in the world. That's all I care about. Oh, okay. There you go. Because I was thinking okay. it's no, probably going to be Netflix still for a while. <laughs> oh boy. Okay. No thanks. No, no, yeah. No, I mean, when I it comes, then Jeff can gorge on all of it at once and enjoy a full experience. You know, I mean, he won't have to wait week to week, so it'll be full on. Full report next time. <laughs> I think Common King will be popular enough to uh, survive the lack of conversation, or people will just be watching illegally. Yeah, that too. Quite, well, one last question, Kevin. Um, does anybody know the status of the uh, Megumi Hashibara autobiography? Is that out yet? 
Okay, so it is out uh, digitally. digitally. And just to let you know, it has been uh, solicited by Yen Press for August for the physical uh, hardcover edition of that autobiography. Ah, you can okay. order that on okay. chapters just to let you know, or Amazon, take your pick. But let us wait for the sales as always. <laughs> because I think it's twenty six ninety nine Canadian, just to let unless you know. On that you really, unless you really love it, unless you really love her, then just buy it anyway. You can learn I'm... about her uh, roles, such as Anna from Shaman King. Yeah. <laughs> and it's still one of the better I, shonen chunk I'm, heroines yeah I, I admit my admission is that could go either way so we'll see like where, I, where at what point i'll purchase it's not a question of if but how much the other thing is remember yeah the ebook edition is cheaper and stuff like that and uh more in line it's not the 26.9 i forget what the price is but definitely a lot cheaper if you want to go that route I'll look up. Uh, I'll look up the price on the Kindle version later, and you'll be able to get it now if you want it. Yeah. That instant if, if you want to take the read of it. Well, remember, I, I have two. Ver- I have two versions of Hello Friends, uh, Jerry Howarth's biography. Mind you, I got the uh, digital version for free as a thank you. Another story altogether. But thanks, thanks for letting me know. Before we go tonight, and this is the last thing I'll mention. A uh, quick programming note. I've been in touch with JP from Anime Lockdown. He's hoping to visit again in the near future. And we'll talk about where things will, with Anime Lockdown itself, stand. So that's something to look forward to. Hopefully we'll get a chance to have JP on the program within the next month. Look forward to it, okay? But in any event, that's all we have for tonight. One more time, a reminder where you can reach us. AnimeRoundtable at gmail.com, at AnimeRoundtable, AnimeRoundtable.com. Also, don't forget, if possible, to leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts, because reviews and good reviews might get us help in the algorithm and expose us to others who might want to listen to this show. Heaven? Please rate us highly. How many stars? <laughs> the usual. Not one. We... <laughs> Preferably five. We typically do episodes once every other week. Although we may do something in our off weeks, too. That said, subscribe to us so you can be notified whenever we get our co- get on our collective soapboxes. Well, if, it, if you really rate us one star, like... Tell us why. <laughs> yeah. But I digress. That said, <laughs> subscribe to us so you can be notified whenever we get on our collective soapboxes and something new drops in the feed. Until next time, thanks for listening. Good night from Toronto. Join us again for another edition of the Anime Roundtable. That's what that's an edit right there. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Travis, more than one star. <laughs>